Strategic Healthcare Partners, founded by principals John Crew and Mike Scribner, operates from offices in Savannah and Atlanta. Our diverse team prioritizes clients, ensuring we fully understand their needs. As your business partner, we are an extension of your professional identity. SHP tailors services to your individual needs, offering flexible pricing structures. From IPA management to financial analysis, we're here to empower your organization. Visit shpllc.com for details. Welcome to Beyond the Stethoscope, Vital Conversations with SHP. I'm your host, Jason Crosby. Today, I'm joined with SHP Principal Mike Scribner as we interview our guest, Damian Scott. Damian is the CEO of Emanuel Medical Center in Swainsboro, Georgia. He came into this role, however, from the provider side. This unusual approach to leadership has provided him some unique insights into how not just how healthcare works from the business perspective, but from the clinical perspective as well. Join us as we talk through quality, the challenges in finding providers, and how the healthcare scene is changing. Are you ready for this vital conversation? Well, let's get started. Hey everyone, this is Jason Crosby with Beyond the Stethoscope. We're joined today by Damian Scott, CEO of Emanuel Medical Center in Swainsboro, Georgia. Hey Damian, how are you? I'm good, how are you doing? Fantastic, fantastic. And with me today, is Mike Scribner, who you guys have heard before in previous episodes, principal of SHP. And uh, Mike and I will go back and forth, drilling Damien on some of his background, some of the challenges he's faced as CEO here in the last several years. So, Damien, kind of kick us off. How did you evolve into your role, sort of a career snapshot, if you will, where you started on the clinical side? Because that brings a pretty unique perspective. How did your career start and evolve into the position you're in now? Jason, I'm going to back up even further. Um, I aspired to be a biology professor, and I got down that road at least part of the way. I'd finished a master's degree in biology. I was teaching at a community college, and um, uh, several of my students, I was teaching for health sciences, and uh, several of my students were physical therapy aspirants, and and um, the more I heard them talk about it, the more that just really aligned with what I uh, believed in. I, I, uh, one of them showed a video uh, that showed uh, what physical therapists do. And um, when I saw that, I definitely knew that that's what I wanted to be a part of. And uh, so even just a month later, I had applied to the physical therapy program. Uh, I'm, I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico originally. So that's where I was in, in uh, went to school at UNM, go Lobos. Um, but I went to physical therapy school and not long after that, I moved to Georgia and uh, I started as a weekend physical therapist at Candler County Hospital. And um, I, I just every year I, I took on more and more responsibility there uh, to the point where um, I had several departments uh, that worked for me. And uh, when the position came open to be an assistant administrator, I took it. I had that for about eight months uh, before I became the CEO of Candler County Hospital, uh, where I was the CEO for one year before I came to Emanuel Medical Center, which is my current position that I've held now for nine years. Damien, this is Mike. So how do you think that that kind of clinical background 
um, has impacted kind of your perspective on your current job? Well, really, I think both the science background and the clinical background have really helped me uh, when when uh, we're having um, clinical discussions. One, I understand the science aspect of it from my biology days, and two, just um, being a clinician. One, it 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 um, helps me understand some of the clinical issues that my clinical team is facing. But I think in particular as a PT, PTs are trained to um, do evaluations of people and then to collaborate with those patients on a problem list and some shared goals. And really as a CEO, rather than doing that on an individual basis with a patient, I'm doing that either on a departmental level or on a facility level. So for example, uh, we may look at a hospital, okay, these are the problems. Okay, that we're seeing here in the hospital team. Let's let's come up with some measurable goals, some objective goals that we can do together. Um, that are and, and that measurable part is so important uh, as a physical therapist, but it's also important as a CEO and say, okay, here's where we are now. This is where we want to be. How can we um, what kinds of treatment plan, you know, for a patient or what kind of uh, strategy do we want to implement? Uh, for the hospital uh, to meet our goals. So I think it, it, it carried over very, very nicely to go from physical therapist to uh, CEO because of that background on goal formation. So on the flip side of that, what do you think were kind of the biggest things you had to learn to get on the administrative side of the wall? And what was kind of the biggest surprise that you that you felt coming over? Um, I, I I spent several years in an investment club that helped me learn how to read financials. Um, so that that helped me quite a bit. Um, I think I, I, I had the opportunity to be around some really great people early on in my career to learn how to do that. Um, I think the the most challenging for me is that the the healthcare paradigm really has been, where the the physician has, especially on the clinical side, the physician has the authority and everything flows down from that. When I was in the CEO position, that was still hard for me because I I was sort of acting as if I was still in this role that was deferential to the physician. At the same time, I was also their boss. And so that was really, really difficult and probably something I'm still trying to learn how to do well, where I'm I'm respectful of them, but also tr- holding them accountable for the objectives of the whole organization. Um, I'd, I'd say that that's been the most difficult. Um, I think in terms of you know a lot of people who come from the clinical have trouble with the um, kind of the financial and, and the and aspects of it. I really haven't had it. And I think, you know, my MBA helped with that, but I do think that the rigor of my my um, biology programs and the stats classes I had to take for that really helped prepare me um, to to be able to address some of the, the financial aspects. So you've been there for nine years, and I guess even going back to the Candler County days, how have you seen the rural hospital setting in Georgia, rural health care in general, evolve you know top two or three ways yeah well first thing is and this is going to be true i think for every single rural 
place. The, the things that rural hospitals need more than anything, and that's tenacity. And and that's just that willingness to cling on and and uh, and and willingness or desire to survive has got to be there, uh, because you've got to have people that that are just going to fight for that uh, organization. I think the thing that's really changed, probably number one, is we've seen and we've talked about it, but it's really happening, and that's that shift from inpatient care um, to outpatient. When I practiced as a physical therapist, I can remember days where people were put in the hospital for a week for back pain. Um, today, uh, one, you're never going to be anywhere near uh, admitted to a hospital for back pain. But even things that that are that we would have considered ICU will probably be in med surge for a day or two now. So that's probably the the biggest change. Um, pretty now, solidly, 82% of our revenue is outpatient now. Um, so that that's a big, big change. And I think that hospitals that didn't really start thinking about that um, and planning for that and, and strategizing around that, uh, they're, they're going to be in trouble right now. And um, so that's probably one big change. I think another is that um, there's a much, much greater emphasis on quality and uh, and. This is good from the from the individual patient because we're trying to provide uh, quality care for them. We're doing things like, you know, trying to manage your diabetes a little better, your hypertension. That's better uh, for the individual patient, but it's also better for our practices because the way the compensation is structured now is that our practices are given rewards based on how well we do managing that patient's diabetes. Hey, did we did we do a good job ordering mammograms for our uh, patients at the right time? Did we do a good job ordering screening colonoscopies for our patients at the right time? And there's a third reason why that's so important is that if we are doing a good job on that, I already mentioned we're going to get the the revenue in the clinics, but we're also going to get it on the downstream too. So if we're doing a good job doing the annual wellness visits, ordering screening colonoscopies, ordering screening mammograms then we're going to get that downstream revenue into the facility as well. So um, quality quality has changed dramatically. Every single payer that, that we're working with, and especially the managed Medicare payers, or uh, have some type of quality uh, program that we can get additional revenue from. The number one change is the shift to outpatient, and the number two is the shift to quality. And I think the third one is um, that related uh, to telemedicine. And uh, COVID probably accelerated that even more, but there's so many more opportunities related to telemedicine for rural organizations. So um, one of the problems that happened as, as, as healthcare became more specialized is that those specialists were in urban centers. And so the primary care, and, and y'all knew them uh, because we worked with them, there were doctors who did a little bit of everything. There used to be, you know, 15, 20, 25 years ago, there were doctors that did a little bit of everything. That just doesn't exist anymore. So the primary care is referring to the urban center. The patient goes there. That's where the specialists are. That's where the expertise is. And then what it happened is then the patient said, well, you know what, if this is where the expertise is, I'll just go ahead and get all of my health care here. So those who had the ability to leave the community did. And so we saw in the rural 
communities, we saw a shrinking of that market share. And, and it was worse than just the shrinking of the market share because it was the people who, um, the payer mix that was the most profitable for, for rural hospitals were the ones that were going off to the urban areas for their health care. And so what telemedicine, I think, has the ability to do is provide some of that expertise back locally. Uh, we've done it with um, with admissions. We can provide critical care consults. I can provide nephrology consults. That then allows us to keep maybe a little bit more complex patient locally. So you asked for the top three things. I would say, uh, again, the shift to outpatient, uh, the, the emphasis on quality, and the third was telemedicine. So as you talk about telemedicine, what I hear is improved access to care, like uh, services, specialist services being available without having to go to the urban center. What I have felt the hospitals struggle in is how you turn telemedicine into a product line, a profitable product line. What what does that turn look like to you? How, how does it become a retainer of that ancillary revenue in the local local facility? Yeah, it, it, you you bring up a really good point, Mike. It, it's it's very very challenging um, because what happens is oftentimes we're reliant on the expert who is still in the urban area, and if if there's no real incentive for them to to continue to be the expert, then we we miss out. And so time and time again, I've set up telemedicine programs. I had an expert on the other end of the line whose urban caseload grew so much that they just said, well, we, we don't have time to do this anymore. And then we're, we were providing an expertise and now we can't. Um, I don't think the opportunity really is on an outpatient basis. I think the opportunity is primarily on an inpatient basis for us. And what, what I want to be able to provide is, one, to, that when somebody comes into the local ER, that our, our go-to reaction isn't to transfer to that urban area, but to figure out, okay, do we can we provide the expertise via telemedicine to keep them here locally? And that's where we're really going to get it. The other part of it is, is that we've got to have primary care docs that feel comfortable actually treating the patients and not just farming everything out to, hey, this needs to go to cardiology. Hey, this needs to go to um, nephrology, but but taking care of patients locally and only transferring out when we absolutely have to. Our work with our ACO has really helped us do that because what we found out is that if we manage them locally, both with our own physicians and with our hospital, then we save money on the ACO and then we end up with shared savings. So we win-win because not only were we saving the ACO money, but we were keeping the revenue right here instead of sending it to a, a competing hospital in another uh, market. Can I go back? Your kind of opening comment with that that whole section was related to kind of the tenacity and the, the sort of the passion for not just enduring, but having the facility thrive. And interacting with so many of y'all, that's one of the parts that I really admire, the creativity that's at that level and the 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 passion, uh, not just the, to see the hospital survive, but to the community benefit of that and seeing yourself as part of that. My question is, how do you lead the organization in that direction? I understand you personally feel like that. How do you get your organization to sort of share that vision and passion? 
Well, one, you have to be passionate, like legitimately passionate. And so I think that it, when people see a leader that has that, um, they'll follow it. And, uh, you know, even in my early days, I can remember people were complaining, hey, you know, there's going to be a lot of changes in healthcare, and healthcare is falling apart and, you know, Obamacare and Affordable Care Act and blah, blah, blah. And, and I, I went to them, and this was when I was a physical therapist, and I said, look, did, why did you guys come into healthcare? Like, seriously, why did you guys come into healthcare? And they're like, well, to take care of patients. Okay. Well, if the rules change, do you think there's still going to be patients there? Yeah. Okay. If you came into this to treat patients, now the rules are changing a little bit, but we're still we're still going to have patients to treat. Let's go ahead and take care of patients. And I think when you have somebody that says that kind of message, it's hard not, it's hard not to say, hey, yeah, I want to be a part of that. Uh, when you say, hey, when when every single person who walks in this door it, that's coming in for healthcare, they're not having a great day. Even if all they're doing is have having some blood work drawn, I don't know anybody who's like, hey, I love needles, you know, so. Every single person that walks in this door, we have an opportunity to be a blessing to them. And we have the opportunity to make them feel more comfortable. And I, you know, I bring up a, a minor point, but that it could be all the way to the point where somebody's either losing their life or a loved one's losing their life. We have an opportunity to be such a blessing to them. So, Mike, when we when you have a leader who's who's saying those things internally to people over and over and over again, the people that are already here say, yeah, I'm part of that. And when I hire somebody and I'm telling them that's that's how we are and who we are. And by the way, I think there's lots of rural hospital CEOs that are saying that same message. But when when a physician or a nurse hears that and they go, yeah, I want to be a part of that. I want to be about health care. That's about taking care of people. Sure. We have to understand, though, the the regulations. Sure. We have to understand the compensation aspect of it. We have to. Those are important. But if your primary love is let's go out and bless and care for people, then I think people will follow that. And really, when you look at the data, rural hospitals are the best at this. We have the best HCAPS data anywhere. You know, if you, if you look at the rules, they always have higher HCAPS data. We've earned we've earned the five star rating three out of the last four years. And so, you know, that comes because people are really passionate about providing excellent care. How have you seen that permeate through the organization? Like, you know, are there other champions that have kind of arisen as well and then they kind of take up the mantle as well? Yes. And right now I, I couldn't tell you how uh, I'm more excited than ever before on my executive team because I, I have that. Mike, we started a team that we call the React team. It's been around for years. And uh, this React team is an employee-led team that honors their fellow employees. And they meet monthly. Uh, one of the members on there, Anna Powell, um, she was the newspaper editor in high school. So she does a monthly newsletter. Uh, they bring in a food truck every Friday. They do a brag board and brag about the employees. They do two um, employees of the month every month. They also go and buy the Christmas presents for kids. They just do a lot of really cool stuff. And so what I love about that is they've taken the culture that I've wanted to have here and made it so much more. Um, and we also have 
Mike, an employee that when we hired her as a care coordinator back in 2015, she realized that there was a social element that was missing. And so she kept coming to the her fellow employees and saying, hey, I need, I, does anybody have an extra wheelchair or does anybody, hey, I've got this patient who doesn't even have a refrigerator. Does anybody have an extra refrigerator? And um, that was great at first, but uh, she realized it was growing much, the, the demands were greater than what her fellow EMC employees could provide. And so she started going out and talking to churches and now, um, they formed, uh, well, it was the EMC Resource Center. Now it's the Emanuel County Resource Center because it grew bigger than us. So now multiple churches have partnered with her. You know, they have a warehouse. Uh, she has, uh, they do clothing giveaways. They, she can outfit somebody with a hospital bed. She can do all kinds of things to help meet the social determinants of health. So your question about how do you spread that to other people? One, you've got to be so passionate about it. I think that will attract other people that are already within your organization, but it will also attract people outside of your organization that says, you know what, that's what I want to be about. Um, and I, I really feel like it's it's rewarding at the end of the day. When people talk about whether that was a good day at work, they're not talking about an easy day at work. They're talking about a day where they made a difference. And um, the reality is, is that work is work. So there's going to be some hard days. But I think what people really find value is not not some job that's super easy, um, but a job that or they feel like, OK, at the end of the day, I really made a difference in my organization. I made a difference in the people's lives around me. That's awesome. So another hard left. Um, what are the sort of the top unsolved problems? And what's what's next for you guys? What's the what are the biggest challenges that you see whether or not you think you've got a bead on solving it or not? I think, you know, one balancing act for every rural CEO is your constituents. So I enjoy operations. I enjoy working with employees. I, I like kind of the some of the stuff we were talking about, you know, motivating employees, inspiring employees. Um, but the reality is that the the rural hospital CEO also has two other major groups of constituents. One is the local community, and the other is our our Atlanta, and maybe even Washington. We have got to be the ones out there um, communicating. Uh, locally and also communicating um, at the state level and at the national level. For Emanuel Medical Center, we spend um, about, and it, it fluctuates, Mike, but it, it we spend between three hundred eighty and four hundred eighty thousand dollars a month on uncompensated care. That's our costs. And so, you know, here here's a really important philosophical question for us as a nation: Who's responsible for that? Is it is it uh, is it the individual? Is it the you know is it our churches and charities? Is it the government? Um, but what we've pretty much decided in the U.S. is that 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 it's going to be the hospital's responsibility. And uh, although we do get some subsidies, you know you know that it doesn't cover that that full cost of that. And so who who is the, who is ultimately taking on that responsibility? It's the it's the hospitals. 
And it's especially the hospitals that have a high amount of indigent care, like the rural hospitals. And um, so, so hospital CEOs definitely have to be out talking to their community, explaining that, um, that stressor, that tension, and uh, definitely need to be at, in Atlanta uh, explaining that clearly uh, to our, our state legislators. And I, I think also nationally need to be talking about how do we how do we address how do we address um, this this situation? Because ultimately it will become an access situation. It will become an equity situation if a hospital does have to close. Um, Beckers, I saw in Beckers yesterday, um, hospital in Kansas announced yesterday that they were closing and they closed that day. <laughs> wow. And they said, you know what, we'll, we'll we'll stay open another couple of days so that people can come get their medical records. And this is a hospital that had been open since 1919. And so if that doesn't just hit you in the gut, um, you know, that that was obviously a place that had been had an, an important role in that community for over 100 years and now is gone. And um, and my guess is, you know, um, a lot of it, if you look at the rural hospitals that struggle, it's because they got a high uncompensated care cost. And and how do they address that and deal with that? I think that the the subsidies out there are great in 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 hospital, especially rural hospital CEOs need to be promoting ideas that would help maybe make that so it's so it's less of a blow on them. You've been listening to Beyond the Stethoscope Bottle Conversations with SHP. This has been a production of Strategic Healthcare Partners. Your hosts are Jason Crosby and me, Aaron C. Higgins. This episode was produced and edited by Nyla Weeb. Our social media content producer is Jeremy Miller. The transcribers Heather McKnight and our executive producers are Mike Scribner and John Crew. For more information about SHP, the services we offer, including the back library of episodes, episode transcripts, links to resources that we discussed, and much more, please visit our website at shpllc.com slash podcasts. Thank you for listening. Analytics, lacking the tandem of actionable reporting with expert analysis, not confident in the knowledge of your reporting system? SHP's expert analysts transform data from your EMR system into actionable insights. Understand your facility's performance, control outcomes, and enhance patient experience. As payment models shift to value-based care, our guidance can improve your bottom line. Visit shpllc.com for details.